Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we welcome Michael Fairbrother and Bernice Vanderberg from Moonlight Meadery. In this episode, we discuss the many variations of mead, how their moonlight has grown from a local favorite to an internationally recognized brand, and some tips for cooking with this unique beverage. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to us. With that said, let's welcome Moonlight to the show. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are so excited to have Michael and Bernice from Moonlight Meadery. We want to start off by having you guys both introduce yourselves and give us some background on how Moonlight Meadery came to be. So I started home brewing back in May of 1995, and I fell in love with uh, the art of fermentation. Around June of that year, I got to try my first mead, and it's been love ever since. And uh, in 2010, I started Moonlight Meadery. Um, my wife joined me shortly after in um, becoming my, my co-founder of the company and, and helping to get us to where we've gotten to. But in the last 10 years, uh, we've won medals at every single international mead competition we've entered. And uh, we sold almost uh, 2 million bottles of mead in our cider in the past 10 years. Wow, that's incredible. I'm Bernice Vandenberg, and um... I'm VP of Sales and Marketing for Moonlight Meadery. And when we started this company, we literally started in our garage. And Michael said to me, honey, I'm going to make it. And you're going to have to sell it. Otherwise, we're going to starve. <laughs> and so we set upon this journey and uh, happy to say that 10 years in, uh, I think we've done a pretty good job. That's great. Now, what specifically about mead really struck a chord with you and made you want to focus on that? So um, I was a beekeeper when I was a teenager. Um, not a lot of hives, but I had a few hives through middle school, high school, uh, up into college. So I always really liked um, the flavor of honey. And what's unique about mead, other than any other fermented beverage, is it's not actually made from an agricultural product that you grow. It's made from the, the pollen and the bees and the nectar from the flowers and the bees regurgitating that to make honey. So it, it's, it's a different flavor. And while I still love beer and we've got Hidden Moon Brewing Company uh, up and online now as well, um, there's a lot of really, really, really good breweries in this world. And 10 years ago, there were maybe a few meaderies in the world and let alone a few really, really good ones. And I thought I could change that. And so, you know, my, my goal, my mission was to bring this ultra premium honey-based alcohol to the market. And so the major difference is instead of fermenting malt to make um, beer or grapes to make wine or apples to make cider, we ferment honey to make mead. And there are many, many different types of meads. Um, my name is on the front cover of the BJCP Mead Style Guidelines book. Um, uh, most of our meads are listed as the de facto standard to which all meads are judged against. And um, 
you know, I, I really put passion first. I really, I try to focus on how do you make the absolute best possible um, mead bar none and, and really live my life by that. When we first started, um, most people didn't know what mead was. Um, in our own tasting rooms, when customers came in, probably 90% of people had never tried mead or didn't know what a mead was. Today, it's different. And when we set out uh, and went to market, we said, we're going to go mainstream. Most meaderies stuck to very niche markets. And everybody told us we were crazy. And today, you can go into major markets and they actually have a meat section, which was unheard of. So we consider that a success. Absolutely. And speaking of success, you guys had a recent 2020 award, didn't you? Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, so we were um, chosen as the um, top 15th most influential honey beverage in the world by the National Honey Board uh, for our Kurtz apple pie. Uh, we just recently took grand champion at the International uh, San Diego International Beer Festival for Mead and Cider. And um, I think out of uh, nine or so entries that we had, we took home eight medals or something to that effect. So, um, well, we didn't take home more medals than we entered, but whatever. it doesn't matter. It is a lot. <laughs> I mean, that has to feel so good, especially where it is your passion, you know? And I think it really proves that putting passion first makes a huge difference. Um, and speaking of, you, you mentioned that, that me that won. Can you tell us about some of the other styles that you have and their different characteristics? Sure. So mead ranges from dry to sweet um, and semi-sweet. Uh, you can make them sessionable like the Raz, what she said, nice light six and a half percent raspberry mead, uh, really nice jammy flavor to it. Um, kind of tastes like a honey raspberry seltzer, in my opinion, but with a lot of raspberry. Um, but uh, some of our meads, uh, our most famous ones are like Embrace, which is a black currant, really tart, almost like a big Cabernet. Um, you've got um, Desire, which is a black currant, blueberry black cherry. That's the one I started the company with. So it has a lot of depth of character, almost like a really beautiful uh, dessert wine or port. Um, Kurt's apple pie tastes like liquid apple pie in a glass. I mean, there's nothing we've made more that we've sold more of than our apple pie mead. And this time of year, it's, it's absolutely a winner. Uh, one of my personal favorites is Smitten, which is my uh, peach mead. Um, I like that one so much. We took it with us to Belgium last summer or two summers ago now when we were pouring it at uh Beer Festival in, um, in, in, in Belgium. And, you know, so that, that I mean, I like, I like choices. I like diversity. I like things to be different. I want, I want to tease my taste buds, right? So for what I do, I'm trying to think of flavors as almost like an art form. And how do I um, tease out that flavor to get exactly what I want to get? And, you know, a lot of my friends and fans online have always kind of joked and razzed me about trying to make a pumpkin mead. And I say, no, because <laughs> I don't want to taste a pumpkin mead or a watermelon mead. And I say, no, I said, I can tell you how to make it, but that's not what I want. So <laughs> I'm not going to make something I don't want. Um, now I have gone crazy at times and made some really interesting meads because I've tried things that tasted really bizarre. Like I had a cucumber lime uh, mead a few years back um, that I replicated. I uh, worked with a home brewer who created the recipe and made that for a national home brewer's um, 
a convention where I was doing a talk. But you know, usually, you know, so this sometimes has one-offs, like we made uh, monkey bread, which is a banana, cinnamon, vanilla, uh, maple mead that, that tastes like uh, banana bread. I mean, it, it's spot on. It's almost, you can almost taste nuts um, uh, in the flavor. But um, yeah, so I mean, flavor to me is just, you know, I, I keep toying with the idea someday I want to make a salsa style mead with tomatoes and a little cilantro and stuff, but you know, I haven't really gotten that crazy yet. He has one motto. He says, I'm going to make what I like. If nobody else likes it, there's more enough for me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you got to make what you want to drink. Now, are there any particular kind of clear-cut styles? So I know one, for example, Sizer is one that I've seen. I believe that's honey apple, right? So how many of those, I'm sure there's tons just like with wine too, but what kind of different popular clear-cut styles are there in meats? Yeah, so there's four categories currently uh, that that are that are like bucket holders. So you have traditional, so that's like any type of honey with water, right? And the federal government gets in the way of allowing mead makers to call what we do making mead because in their legal term, mead is a wine made from honey that can only be up to 14% alcohol. And you can put up to a pound of hops in it and some other crazy stuff. Now, in the grand world of everybody else in the world, mead is anything that has a primarily fermentable source from honey. So a sizer is a melamel, so a fruit mead, but a particular fruit, which is apple. So you can have a piment, which is a great mead, um, and, and there are several other sub-variants of that. You can have a methaglen, which is a mead made with spices. Um, so like uh, ginger or cinnamon or vanilla or whatever kind of spicing you might like. And then you can make, um, well, they've really kind of given up on trying to find names, but it's called open category, which is a combination of, of one or more of the aforementioned. So Kurt's apple pie, for example, would be a, a sizer, but you, sizer can't have spices, so it doesn't fit there. So then it's not a methaglen because it's got fruit in it. So then it falls into this open category, which is a fruit and spice meat. And uh, that one was delicious too. I remember that. And I believe the one that we have is also bourbon barrel aged, which gave it a really nice, you know, aftertaste characteristic. And I'm a big whiskey guy. So that one was definitely a favorite of ours when we were drinking it. I'm drinking Desire now, which just like you said earlier, dessert wine is the first thing that hit my head, like a nice port or like a really, you know, uh, heavier, really sweeter sort of wine, but it's got that sort of thicker kind of viscosity that meads tend to have. And the raspberry one's delicious too. And this one's nothing. I've never had anything similar to this. And you call this one a session mead. So can you uh, talk to us about what a session mead is and how you make this and make it so much different than the other two? Sure. So most of the meads that we make are around 14% alcohol because that, that, that level of alcohol helps keep the mead from refermenting in the bottle and gives it a really real nice balance. So there's three things that control the perception of sweetness. There's the actual sweetness, there's the pH, and then the alcohol level. So for me as a, as a, a mead maker, you know, what I'm trying to do is balance, create balance, right? Create that, that perception of, oh my God, this all ties together perfectly. So sessionable or lower in alcohol, like less than seven, doesn't technically fit the wine category definition of wine anymore, right? So it's so complicated the way the government regulates terms. So a beverage is exclusive of wine. So wine's not a beverage. 
right? Beer and cider are beverages, whereas what she said is a beverage. So sessionable mead is, is almost a, like a wine, I guess is the right way to call it. So it's like, a, a, I don't wanna say a wine cooler, but a, a mead. It's lighter on alcohol. It's, it's, it's basically we add more water instead of adding more sugar or sugar being honey or fruit. Um, so my style of making that I think is fairly different than most of the other commercial mead makers in the world. I don't want to give away all my secrets, but um, it's um, I like to keep in control the body and the characteristics of what uh, the fermentation does for me when it's fermenting at like say a 14% alcohol level and get it into that same. So it shouldn't taste watery, right? So as you taste that rasp, what she said, you still probably get the hang time of the flavor and the long lasting effect of, of that flavor. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to go for, which is I don't want it to taste super thin and super just like, oh, that's a cup of water. You know, I want it to taste integrated and complex as well. And for so our listeners. Elsa. <laughs> And for our listeners who are more uh, familiar with wine, because we do have a lot of them from the way that all of this started, uh, how would you recommend for someone who hasn't tried a mead before to kind of start taste testing and getting familiar with mead? Are there certain flavors they should start with as a basis? Or are you kind of like just jump right in and, and try whatever piques your interest? Yeah, so one of the things that we've learned over the last 10 years uh, with customers coming into our tasting room is a lot of the wine buyers come in and say, oh, I don't like sweet wines. And they end up walking out with the sweetest meads I make um, because what they're thinking about is they don't like sweet grape wines, right? So sweet grapes, think of jelly, right? What does that go with? Peanut butter. Uh, what does that really pair with? Not much more than that. Um, so sweet wines are really, you know, like a Saturn or stuff. Yeah, they have, they have a really unique niche opportunity. But if you think about honey and people's perception of honey, being sweet and what honey can pair with, whether it's cheese plates, apples, uh, savory dishes, baklava, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that provide flavor hooks that honey works on. So if, from a chef perspective, honey is this beautiful bridge element because you can make spicy dishes with honey. You right. can make um, savory dishes, like I was saying. So the honey acts as a, um, a natural bridge and so if you look at some of the meads that we make like wild, which is our blueberry mead, nice and dry, our embrace, which is a black currant or temerity, which is a barrel aged black currant. Uh, all, all those flavors are really working with the acidity of the fruit combined with the honey and the lower sweetness level to provide that, um, I wanna call it a bridge, if you will, for the wine drinker into the mead world, um, but like, it's, um, I mean, if, you, if your wine drinkers have drank like Tokai, Tokai is way sweeter than several of the wines and meads that we make. Um, I, I certainly love Tokai and I love really good Sauternes and uh, Cabernets and, you know, it's, it's something for everybody, I think. And, and part of, you know, how we've gotten to the distribution level that we have, like Total Wine and More Nationwide pretty much carries most of my meads. Um, all the Trader Joe's up here in New Hampshire carry my ciders and uh, my sessionable stuff. Um, Market Baskets, one of our biggest customers in New Hampshire, uh, the New Hampshire State Liquor Stores, uh, Cost Plus World Market nationwide, Whole Foods, 
uh, Specs, Binnies, Wegmans. Bevmo, Wegmans. Um, you know, the, there are, we, we, the reason we've made such inroads is we haven't tried to just make something so niche that nobody wants to try it. You know, everybody used to say, well, what's your target demographic? And I would say women, <laughs> because I would show up at a homebrew club party with a bottle of my beer and a bottle of my mead. And when I opened a bottle of mead, every woman in the room was knocking somebody over to get to me. And I said, okay, there's, there's a market here. And, you know, um, you know, my background was software engineering, right? So I'm not, I'm a pretty shy individual. I don't, I'm used to typing in front of a keyboard and, you know, solving my own world problems uh, without trying to have to interact with everybody in the room. So it's, it's, um, I'd say you really can't go wrong. I mean, the, our ratings are, are really well established and the fact that we win, you know, every single time we enter is, I, th I think, proof it's, you know, there, there are probably two or three meteries in the world that can probably even make that claim. Um, and there are not many of them. They're all usually pretty good friends. Uh, I'm good friends with several of the guys I'm thinking of or people I'm thinking of right now. And it's not just guys that are women mead makers that are mm -hmm. as phenomenal as men mead makers as well. But um, I, I would suggest um, for somebody who's new to mead um, is to definitely try a variety because just like wine and beer and cider, um, you don't just try, say, for example, an IPA and say, I don't like IPAs, right? Um, I would definitely suggest if you are doing a panel tasting to go from dry to semi-sweet to sweet. It's hard for your palate to go back the other way. Um, but try a variety and figure out what you think you like versus when you taste and your brain starts to comprehend the nuances of what you're actually tasting because we've proven that people will come in and they'll be like I'm a dry white dr a wine drinker don't give me anything sweet and as they go through a tasting profile they'll start off with the dry and they'll say okay I did not expect that that's good and as they go down they'll leave with the sweetest one because the brain learns and it develops. And so don't, um, don't be stuck in your preconceived notions that all number one, all meat is sweet because that's not true. And just allow your tasting experience to help you observe, experience, and learn what you actually like. And the food pairings really, really change it up to as well as the temperature of the serving of the mead. So the colder you make it, the less um, less honey you might taste. Mm -hmm. um, but like our fling goes great with like a goat cheese salad. Um, blossom, which is an apple mead with a, a nice sharp cheddar is, is pretty spectacular. Desire, it may sound like a crazy pairing, but with a nice savory uh, roast leg of lamb uh, really comes in well too. I could definitely see that. Now, obviously, yeah, doing like kind of a panel tasting would be a great way to do it. Is that something you guys offer in your tasting rooms or at least, you know, in normal times and stuff uh, where you can offer it like a brewery might have flights or something where you can sample? Yeah, the yes, we, we are. We're, we're currently um, flipping around a little bit as we're we go from <laughs> uh, summer season to this winter mm -hmm. and trying to work on our indoor safety protocols to make sure we can make all this work. But yeah, we're, we're actively have a on-premise tasting room and 
uh, you know, we do offer curbside and, and delivery service as well. Um, and we're hopefully going to buy a, a new location where we can have a, um, a destination location for the winery and brewery and tasting room experiences and everything. And for those who are further afield, obviously going through this whole COVID thing, um, we have offered and we will probably be offering again, now that we're hibernating again, um, things like this, Zoom meetings where people can get together and they can um, come to us and say, okay, we have a group of friends, we have a club, you know, we have a podcast, you know, our, our outreach membership um, where we can actually perhaps send a tasting panel to people. They can order it online, it gets sent to them, and then we could do Zoom meetings where we can actually have a live tasting and walk people through it. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to adapt to the new world. <laughs> yeah, for, for an example, we've never had a spit bucket in our tasting room ever in the no, 10 years. Never. Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> And another thing that you mentioned earlier, too, when we were going through sort of the government regulations is that you can have up to a pound of hops or something like that. Now, recently, we actually first tried our first uh, hopped cider, or at least the first advertised one that you could really taste it from Stowe Cider. Is that something you guys do a lot? And uh, how does the hops in the mead really affect the overall taste of it? Yeah, I've, I've kind of played around with it in my mind, but I haven't actually. So you got to think of it as you know, as like a software engineer, I think about the problem space almost three-dimensionally. So as I think about the flavor of hops and what really helps hops, you know, get the utilization out um, is, is the boil time and we don't boil our, our meat or our honey. So it, that doesn't gonna work too well. There was reading about a new um, hop, uh, I wanna say kind of chiro, some sort of extract um, format that they're using now that, um, gets you that hop flavor. And I was interested in maybe trying to buy one, but it's like 500 bucks for like a two kilogram jug of this hop oil. And I don't know how much I would need, but that seems like a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think IPAs, for example, or beers really have a, a really nice showcase for how the hops really work in this technique. So it's kind of like why try to force something if it doesn't belong there? You know, it's kind of like when I think about making a pumpkin meat, I'm like, well, pumpkin's mostly starch. Why do, Why would you want to do that? And, you know, then it dawned on me, oh yeah, well, you got sweet pumpkins. So maybe there's a sugar pumpkin and maybe that has some effort that might work, but I still can't really see why you'd want to try to <laughs> We do haven't it. gotten them there yet, <laughs> but we do bridge that gap. Um, for example, um, We've now launched Hidden Moon Brewing into our prof into our portfolio, where we've introduced Braggots, which is beer made from honey. So we do do an IPA with with, with lemon drop hops, Columbus, and one other one. Um, so that technically um, still fits in within our portfolio because we still have the honey element, but it's technically a beer. Yeah, and then we released a Russian Imperial Stout as well. So doing, that's how we bridge that. Yeah, doing a double IPA tomorrow as well. Right. So we're, we're, I like the I like my beer. You know, a, a, a growler somewhere might be a little dirty, but you know, hidden moon brewing. Um, yeah. And now for the actual fermentation time. So how does how long does uh, mead take to actually ferment and the whole process from start to finish when it's in the bottle and ready to be drunk. Um, is there any, you know, how much aging goes into it? Can you break that down for us? 
-hmm. Yeah, well, it's infinite. <laughs> so um, best times that we're looking at, it could be a month. Um, most, most of what we make are about three months start to finish. Uh, we do have some that are approaching 10 years now of aging. Uh, we are releasing Utopian X. So Utopian batch number 10, so they'll have been aged in oak for 10 years. Um, that's not going to be a cheap bottle. <laughs> and um, the, all the variations, as you can imagine. So bottle conditioning changes the flavor of the mead the longer it sits in the bottle. You might actually see some protein or haze drop out of, the, the, out of solution. Um, that can happen over time. Um, but we have some bottles that are now eight years old and it's still as crystal clear at the bottom as it was at the, the day we put it into the bottle. So it's, it's really got to do with technique on how you make the particular meat and, and what you're trying to achieve. I don't particularly try to set out to age all my meats forever, but um, the oldest meat I've ever tried was 60 years old. And I started way too light, way late in life to, to try to hope I'm ever going to try one of my meats <laughs> that are 60 years old. But um, I've got some that are 20 years old now. So yeah, 40 more years ain't going to make it. <laughs> so maybe my kids will someday have a 60 year old meat that I made. So remember, honey is one of those few food groups that never goes bad. Yep. So they don't go bad as quick, quickly as beer and wine. They have much longer extended shelf life and all of our meats are gluten-free and our ciders as well. And how does that actual the aging and letting it really sit a long time really affect the taste? Like what different tasting notes does that sort of bring out? And obviously I'm sure it will depend well, on what you're Have thinking. you ever tried a 200 year old Madeira? No. Okay. So I like Madeira and I like, I think Madeira that I've had have all been really good. And I like cognac and I like rum and I like tequila and I like a lot of other things. And I think, oh, okay, this one's pretty good. How much better can it actually be? And then if you go from like uh, <laughs> Louis the 13 to, to Remy Martin or regular, you know, XO uh, cognac, you're like, whoa, okay. There's a huge, huge difference. Now, how do you quantify that? And, and how do you, how do you, it's like the difference between, you know, you can get to a work of art, but then how do you define a masterpiece, right? So, I don't really know how to even describe it. I know how to know it when I taste it and you, when you start to smell. So I've I turned this, uh, coined this term a few years back called art in a glass, right? Because you can see the art, right? You're approaching it, you can see it's beautiful, right? And then you can, you can nose it and you're like, oh my God, all the pieces are tying together. You might get floral notes from the honey. You might get whiffs from the alcohol, but there's no, there's no burn, there's no, off aromas and it's just all leading towards towards this one ultimate goal and when you taste it and all those elements continue to roll into one that's when you know you've had it so so this 60 year old meat i had this gentleman's grandfather had made it and he had brought it uh into the united states from poland so his father or his grandfather had it in these carboys in the basement and some of the polish meads are hmm, are some of the best meads I've ever had in my entire life. There, there are definitely styles of mead that are made in Poland that I could only dream of trying to replicate in my 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 best possible case scenario. And and I'm not that good at doing that. Uh, I am great at drinking them. And my friends in Poland, <laughs> they know who I am and they, and they take care of me. Um, but it's um, 
it's like the difference between I don't know I, I just it, it's like it's at the tip of my tongue and I just want to be able to tell you but it's like it's you there are no words to to encompass that 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 delta it's it seems so infinitely small but so massively big to to the perception of flavor Personally, for me, I think that meats that are aged are just like a fine bourbon or a cognac. They tend to be a little smoother um, because, you know, with the aging process, they've had more time to settle um, and intermingle. Um, maybe a sweet one, very sweet one, like the Kurtz bourbon that you tried, let's say 30 years from now, maybe not be as sweet as they age. Um, I would say that for me personally would be the way that I would describe it. And I saw on your site, you have a small cooking with meads section. Do you guys use it a lot in your cooking or is that just kind of like a, a once in a while ingredient? Building a child, Meads <laughs> <laughs> are actually great. So think of cooking with mead. Here's the difference between cooking with mead and cooking with a grape wine. When the alcohol dissipates with regular wine, the flavor doesn't. So that's the difference with cooking with meat. So they're actually great wines to cook with. Um, maybe a little pricey, but when you're doing that special dish and you want it to retain the flavor, when the alcohol cooks out, the flavor doesn't. You so can, yeah, we cook a lot. Well, <laughs> you you can get fun. some really good flavors because um, we're using, you know, certified organic honey. Uh, we're using real fruit. Um, so nothing here is doctored. So you can't make great product with with garbage in. So it, it takes right. that quality uh, level of effort to, to get there. I mean, we've, I, I wish I could say I cook with it all the time, but I, I just don't. Um, I do like it when I am cooking, like I've made chili with uh, uh, my ghost pepper mead. Um, you know, you can, mm. you know, we're, we're now, I've started trying to learn to teach myself how to make chocolate from the bean. So we use cacao nibs in the process of making some of the meads and we've now re-roast the cacao nibs after we've made the mead to make chocolate and you know those chocolates are available in my tasting room. Um, so it's, it's I, I wanted to be a chef when I was a kid. So I like the idea of, of how do you cook, how do you repurpose, how do you, how do you create something that adds to that experience. And when you cook with meads, remember your base point of where you're starting off from. Um, with a grape wine, um, the difference is with mead, the honey holds on to the flavors. So initially, the flavors of the fruit or the spice or the honey are going to be way more pronounced um, when you're cooking. So it, it's all just a benefit. They're not great. Like grape wine. Love that. So we're going to have to try that, Nick. We're going to have to include it in some recipes if you don't drink it all first. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with drinking it and buying yourself. <laughs> I think that's probably that's what's going to end up happening. In <laughs> uh, speaking of purchasing, so on your site, and this will be going live just at the beginning of December, so perfect time for gifting, and we're putting together a New England gift guide. So you have some awesome boxes of different, you know, pre-box like flavors that people can pick up and give to family and friends or just have them at their table or drink them on their own or <laughs> whatever they want to do with them. So we'll be including that in our gift guide. So everybody listening, check that out. And also um, for everybody listening, you do ship to quite a few states. How else can everyone purchase 
either a case of mead or if they just want a couple bottles for themselves? Yeah, so our online store, um, we do offer, like I said, um, uh, curbside pickup right now at, at our meadery. Um, all the local stores where you might shop, if you look and see one of the states that we distribute to, there's a really good chance you can buy our mead local to where you are and not have to pay all the shipping costs. Um, but we do ship to, I think, almost 40 different states now. Uh, we export to Australia, Japan, Hong Kong, Canada. Um, it's, it's really amazing to me to see that my mead's for sale in Perth, Australia. And, um, you know, nothing like it you know to see people from around the globe uh, value what i do and 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 my whole team what we all do to to really kind of bring a ancient style of beverage into the mainstream market and if your state allows um me to be shipped in if it's one of the states that are on our website and your local store doesn't carry it ask them to bring it in we appreciate that this is how we grow and then you don't have to pay shipping costs <laughs> nothing beats that <laughs> nobody wants to pay shipping costs right <laughs> that's great and yeah of course congratulations on all your success i mean it's incredible to see it and for everybody who wants to follow along with that success to see all the more all the other accolades that you bring in because i know there will be more of them where can they find you on social media and follow along with your journeys sure so we're at moonlightmeadery.com and we have a moonlight meadery uh Facebook page and Instagram page. Um, we have a Hidden Moon Brewery uh, Facebook page and Instagram page. And we just recently launched uh, Over the Moon Farmstead. That's going to be our destination location. Um, and that's a 100 acre farm that we're looking to uh, build and grow on in uh, Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And we're going to have a bed and breakfast. So if Somewhere. you're into uh, coming to visit uh, beer, mead cider destination locations, we got you. <laughs> Definitely. We're excited to see all that play out. I'm excited to finish drinking these meads, buy more <laughs> and try cook them with them. Uh, for everyone listening and watching on YouTube, we'll have links in the description below to the website, to the social media. So it's easy for you to navigate to. And we thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us. Cheers. Thank, thank, you, so, thank you so much for having us. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks.